Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff, the NM Consumer and Retail Group, and for the month of June, Right Side. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the funniest, fastest, and most fervently insightful breakdown of all the week's top news in the world of retail, and also the podcast with the best alliteration. We ruminate, we rant, and we rave over the headlines like no other podcast in the business, and especially today. Today is June 3rd, 2021. I am your host, Chris Walton, joined as always by the illustrious Ann Mazinga. Ann, how are you feeling? Yes. What, what hurt more on Monday after after you did the Murph, the big famous CrossFit workout? Was it the <laughs> legs, God. the arms, the chest? What, what? We're going to be these CrossFit people. We're going to drop half the audience after this. Oh, one. totally. We're going to be CrossFit people. No, yeah. No, I want to know what hurt more. Which body part uh, was in, in the most pain? All, all the parts the hurt. My arms are still sore. I, like I tried to play. I was shooting hoops with my son on oh, Tuesday. You were shooting hoops. Really? Shooting are hoops. You a hooper? Uh, we're hooping it up these days. Yeah. It's really fun. We uh, it's how we bond these days in the time of the internet and and cell phones, nice. and screens. But uh, I couldn't even shoot a basket. My arms were so sore. I was like trying to throw up a basket, and my son oh, and I were feeling. like in tears laughing because I could not get a shot up. It was terrible. What about you though? <laughs> oh, for me, it was totally the legs. The legs were just shot. The legs were just just absolutely destroyed. But you made me think of something though. Like somebody from northern Michigan, are they a youper hooper? Like what do you what do you, what do you call somebody from from that part of the country that like likes likes to play a little basketball? You yeah. may call them that. I don't I know may call anybody in in the up actually would call them in the up listen to you listen to you gosh yeah well our reunion tour plan didn't come together this week i think a lot Mm -hmm. of people asked us that on social media if if that if that was happening if we're back in the office today it didn't work we worked out uh, we did the murph workout to uh which for anyone listening is like insane it's a it's two miles of running what is it and 200 doesn't matter they're gone already they're gone 200 i'm gonna say it 200 push-ups 100 pull-ups 300 squats we did that together side by side on monday but in terms of the work reunion plan, that just didn't happen. But uh, shoot shout out. I want to make a huge shout out this week to one of our, our fans who sent me a great message, Lee Sherwood Esmond. She messaged me on LinkedIn and this was awesome. She said, love listening to you on Thursdays and getting smarter. Love even more when you bring a bit of goofball to the equation. That, Never. my friends, goofball. listeners, goofball, that is a woman who gets the show. So we are going to dial it up today. We're going to dial it up to 11 on the goofball. Maybe try to come in at the smartless level of like a six or a seven, you know, see how, <laughs> see how that plays out best, you know, and, best. <laughs> and just roll with it. Right. You like that plan, man? Yes. Good plan. Let's All right. it up. Uh, but before we get started, before we get to the headsi- headlines, I have to say our future Anne is looking bright here at Army Talk, And that is because we have a new sponsor for the month of June and that is bright sign. Now, Brightside's a company I've known for a little bit. And after the Amazon hair salon announcement last month, I said, we've just got to start working with these guys because in-store digital media and activation is on the road to becoming ever, ever more important. And we're going to continue to cover that topic as much as we can. Remember last week in our podcast with AM, I teased the word haptics because I think that's where things are going. Now, for those unfamiliar, Brightside is the global leader in digital signage experiences for retail. They can plug and play with any tech, voice, gesture control. There really is no limit, and it can all be easily managed through BrightSign's cloud control system. It works with nearly every CMS out there, and with one keystroke, you can pivot to almost any CMS system on the fly. And this is my favorite part. BrightSign will also proof of concept anything for you at no charge. And that's what I love about them. They have scale. They are built out. And they aren't afraid to eat what they cook, which sounds a lot 
like this podcast, this <laughs> podcast and what we believe at OmniTalk. If you want to learn more, visit brightsign.biz. The link will also be in the show notes. And you can also hit up my buddy, Bob Radcliffe on LinkedIn. All right. And let's get to the headlines. Today, we're going to let's talk about Etsy's latest acquisition, Instagram's new drop features, Sheets letting customers use Bitcoin. And we're going to close discussing Walmart's new partnership with Gap. But first, we take off with Instacart wanting more robots. Hmm. Well, yes, that's right. According to Bloomberg, Instacart has plans to, quote, replace the army of its gig shoppers with robots. Ro- robots. Jesus. Robots <laughs> as part of a long-term strategy to cut costs and put its relationship with supermarket chains on a sustainable footing, end quote. I just had visions of like Bart Simpson as I was doing I was going to say the same thing. I'm like Bart Simpson robots, just yeah. like shipping and picking and stuff in yeah. the back uh, warehouse. That yeah. probably is a Simpson episode, right? Like the robots. If not, it soon will be. Now, the background here is that Bloomberg says it got its hand on a report. I love this. There's all this, like all these people getting hands on reports lately. We had Jason Del Rey and Walmart. Now Bloomberg yeah. has its hands on a report. And the report says that Instacart reportedly is looking at to build out robotic warehouses and has looked at up to five micro fulfillment automation partners for that exercise. Now, supposedly the strategy or the intention behind the strategy has been in place for over a year, but there's been no takers on the retail side yet to sign up for this effort. The, also, the article also suggests that Instacart is doing this because, you know, essentially it's, it's intimating that they're on shaky ground with retailers in terms of how they're going to position themselves or align themselves with retailers going forward. So, Ann, yes, we're going to start off with a whiz bang here. This is going to be a whiz bang type of show. We're going to go for it. Put right, you on the right. spot question to start. Oh, and God. Chad from AM right. is really pissed from last week because we gave him such a hard question. So, oh, sorry about this one. So, here's the question from Chad With this report, Instacart appears to have come one step closer to bringing the whole issue of owning versus outsourcing online grocery fulfillment to a head. Where do you, Anne, believe this ultimately goes? Will retailers get on board with standalone Instacart fulfillment centers? Or is this the breaking point where retailers begin to take control of online fulfillment and the customer touch point? And the floor is yours. Well, Chad, as you called me out last week, I will say that I think that this is Instacart experimenting. And grocers are hedging their bets against Instacart, so Instacart should prepare to have their own operations, too. Um, you know, they are competing uh, with both sides. They're competing with the rapid delivery now in the the DoorDash, the GoPuffs that we talked about last week in that, you know, 30 minute and less delivery space. And they're also competing about, against grocers who are, you know, standing up their own operations here. Labor shortages are real. I think that was a weird part of this headline. Like, I don't understand why that's being thrown in here. My guess is since we already knew that they Instacart has been talking to people like that was old news from May or like earlier this year that uh, that they had been dating some some micro fulfillment providers. Um, so I don't know how much the labor angle is going to end up playing into this. But net net, does this feel like, you know, a retailer move for Instacart? Maybe, maybe not. Does it put them in an excellent position to, you know, p- position themselves in a different space or make that pivot down the road? If grocers do say, time out, we're done with you, Instacart? Absolutely. So I, I like this move from Instacart. I think it makes sense. Um, but uh, I don't know that I see any like changes immediately because of this with the grocery or uh, grocer Instacart relationship. What about you? Yeah, it's, I, I think I, I think I'm a, I think I agree with you. Let's let's flush. I think let's flush that out more too. I think in response to that question is 
I think I think what I'm hearing from you, which is what I agree with you, I think there's a lot of false dichotomies going on out there where it's, you know, you either partner with Instacart or you don't partner with Instacart. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people are getting and now and then, and then also what should Instacart do about it? Like, OK, let's you know, let's get into gro- like they need to become their own grocery. Like I and I don't I don't think that's necessarily the right answer either. Right. Like I, the, the, there's a lot of con- there's a lot of nuance to this discussion I think has to be brought out. The article did a good job in that towards the like two thirds end of it of some of the other options, you know, like shout out to delivery solutions who were a part of full disclosure. Right. Like there's a way to have relationships with Instacart where you also are still in control of your own destiny. So I think the question then becomes, you know, for me, the big question is what, it, what does Instacart do? And I think you're right. Like it's an experiment. It's a low cost experiment. If it works, it doesn't. Are there grocers that need you to do that? Maybe. And let's also forget Instacart isn't just grocery anymore. It's a marketplace for everything. Right. I hate the, I, I am starting though to hate the Instacart needs to become its own grocery argument. And I don't, because I don't think it's going to happen. Like, here's the thing. One, they don't know how to do it, right? Physical grocery is actually pretty darn hard if you're going to be in people's consideration set. And if they start to do it, then the marketplace goes away because people will start shutting down those relationships pretty quickly. And the marketplace is inherently where all the value is and where all the connection is. And so if you're not going to have the other offerings in there, then you're just becoming a grocer, right? Like right. you're going to start losing some of those advantages. So, so I don't really, I don't really get that and understand that. And like you, I think we've talked about this a few weeks ago, like there's still opportunities to partner with them in the right spots, right? Like you can use them for delivery. You can use them for picking and packing. You can use them for curbside like Costco's doing. I think what will end up happening is everything will settle in some degree to that effect. Now, is Instacart overvalued? Maybe. Will the investors want to chase more growth? Maybe. I don't think that's the right answer, though. That's actually, to me, a road to nowhere. It's something going to settle in the middle, which is always the way stories work. The the question that I also, I'm curious to get your perspective on, Chris, is I hear a lot of arguments of, you know, grocers themselves can't afford to build these micro-fulfillment centers. So does this make sense if like Instacart and grocery stores are splitting the cost of building these? I still don't know where that makes sense too. Like, do you think that that grocers would adopt that, that concept the same way that they adopted? Like, we're just going to use Instacart as one of our fulfillment off. Uh, uh, partners for delivery. Like, I, I don't see them like going, I don't see any grocers going in and like taking the, the cost burden of building a micro fulfillment center as a reason to get more in bed with Instacart. Do you? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I think that's where I still hear sometimes people say, you know, micro fulfillment's expensive. It doesn't feel like it is to me, honestly, from an experiment standpoint, but I could see people using that just like they use Instacart in the past. Like, let me trial the customer demand with you and then see if I like it and it works. And then I could start building it myself. Because the thing I don't get with this type of setup too, is that they're probably not on site. So you're not getting the scale efficiencies of the building already being there, the inventory already being there. You're basically standing up a separate operation. Instacart also is not, like we talked about a few weeks ago, Instacart's not going to get any scale in this if they do it right. by retailer each time, right? So that's right. that's inherently weird to me in this whole idea too. I don't see them pooling the inventory across different people that for a whole host of reasons, which we've said that's weird. So I so I, I could see I could see retailers either saying like, we never want to do this, so we will use somebody like you for this, which I think that's a mm-hmm. real possibility when you start looking at some of the regional grocers in terms right. of how they want to operate. You know, or or they'll use it as a step proof, a, st- a step in the process to prove that, that you know there's something to the idea. 
you know, and then they'll settle out on what's the right mix, which could be like Instacart operates in some locations, you know, some regions we put it in our stores is all the other technologies, like our partners take off, you know, continue to evolve and, you know, determine what works and what doesn't at the most efficient rate. Uh, I just, there's so many ways to slice this. I think putting the argument into this, like Instacart has to do this or this now is such a social media thing. And I'm so tired. I'm, I'm tired of that argument. I really am. Like, it's just missing the context and play out the Instacart becoming its own grocer. Like, how does that work? Right. And by the way, let's not forget, I'm curious your thoughts, because I thought this overnight and then we'll move on. But like ships sitting here doing the exact same thing. So like ships already the grocer with Target. So like, I don't really like, I, I don't, I don't get what that play is either. What do you, what do you think on that last point? Well, I think that what we're learning here is that there's much deeper conversations and scenarios that need to be explored and that that could play out here than just the are they does this make them a retailer headline? Like we got we were saying at the beginning, like, is this something that a retailer might do or that they might make the, the move toward if they were a retailer? Sure. But you're right. Like with shift and target, I mean, it's a little bit different because target owns shift. But um, but I think that there's still so much more deep conversation and strategy that that can be yeah. brought into this Um well, even the article, like they're trying to replace the giver. I don't, I don't agree with that. Like that's where all their scale is. You start doing this. That's a completely different business model, a completely different setup that you're trying to run. So it's not even a full replacement. There was just, there's so much nuance missing. I'm actually getting frustrated, like just with how much nuance it felt like was missed with this whole story. All well, right, let's I'm move on cheer, to headline two. I'm going to cheer you up. I'm going to cheer you Please, up. I got God. some better news. I got some better news. We'll get us out of here. So Etsy, the e-commerce marketplace best known for crafts like a taxidermied mouse snorting fake cocaine with a real $1 bill and corn-scented ear of corn soap, is buying luxury resale pop platform Depop for a cool $1.6 billion. So a couple key notes here. So 90% of Depop's users are under 26 years old. So Depop, this is a resale platform, luxury resale platform. And most of Etsy's current customers are millennials. So the the play here is that this deal gives Etsy access to those Depop uh, users and Depop will be able to draw from Etsy's experience to scale internationally. Uh, Chris, what what are you thinking here? Oh man, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have a ton. I, I don't have a ton to say on this one. I think, I mean, I think it's a cool story. It's a, a huge amount of money again, $1.6 billion. I mean, the one thing that's coming through my head is like, uh, and that was a great opening read, by the way, we're definitely dialing it up to 11 here, but I can't, I can't see, you know, like I can't stop thinking when does this trend end, right? Like, what does it all mean? What trend? I, the resale the trend? The resale trend. Like just the oh, amount I don't of money. Think it ends. I mean, Rent the Runway is getting in this business this week too. Like, I, I just don't see where it ends. And I think Etsy, it's a great move. I mean, Etsy to me has as much right to win in, in that space as anyone, given what they've done with their heritage. I think the more the important question it raised for me this week is like, let's play this out five or 10 years, right? If resale is really that big of a proportion of uh, consumption, right? right? That's what Gen Z's want to buy, which there's still a little part of me, like how much of this is a trend that lasts, but I think it's probably more here to stay than it's not. That means you're you're selling less stuff as a retailer overall, less new stuff as a retailer overall, and the retailers are going to want to grab that. Like you know, they want a they want a piece of that pie. Right now, so much of it feels like it's going through these like marketplace you know type offerings or these new online commerce players, and the retailers are kind of stuck on their own, either you know peer to via peer to peer peer via peer to peer commerce or something like that. That 
the retailers have to start grabbing this back. So I think back to like the conversation we had last week with Recurate, where they're enabling retailers to take control of some of that. I think that's only just going to be more important. That was like my kind of big aha is that the retailers are going to want to start grabbing back some of this volume if this trend is as big as it is. And, and right now they don't aren't seemingly positioned to do that through their own capabilities. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, I, I do want to point out though, that I think that there is a, a place for the Depops, the real reels, the noise yeah. offs of the, of the world. I, I mentioned this before, but I think for me, these companies with their curated kind of points of view, it's not just, you know, thread up or Poshmark where you can throw up any product on. This is heavily curated product. And to me, this is like what the equivalent of the department store is for Gen Z. I think that this is where they go to find these specialty items. Um, and so there's an opportunity for them to exist with brands in the same space. But yes, I think you're right. Like brands are going to have to, as Adam Siegel was saying from Recurate, like they're going to have to think about how what their strategy is to bring more of this in. Um, I think the acquisition, the Etsy acquisition makes sense. They're one of the largest peer-to-peer commerce sites. So they will be able to help Depop really kind of blow up. Um, they're really popular in Europe right now, but, you know, as they continue to expand to the U.S. But one thing that I, I will be watching really closely mm-hmm. is if Etsy does see the Gen Z traffic that they, I think, are expecting from this. Do they start to see, I mean, just because people, Gen Z is interested in Depop, I don't think that is equal to the Etsy audience. I, I want to see how much draw they actually get from this. Um, Etsy has some real huge seller problems to iron out. I mean, they've been kicking people off for, you know, off their platforms for reasons. And I think that will be a problem with uh, Depop customers and sellers um, if they, you know, if they try to take over too much of that part of the operations. But yeah, that's a great point. It's like how much one plus one equals equals three is there? In right. This? There might be in terms of like how to operationalize it, get scale on the Depop side, but does it translate back? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, the, other, the last thing just to close that I thought about as you were saying that is like, we talk about this a lot on the shows, like, just because something's new doesn't mean it's that revolutionary, right? I, what I hear you saying is like, okay, thrift stores have been around forever. They've been mm-hmm. merchandised and retailed in communities and some are, some of the brands are bigger than others, but there are brands out there if you study this, and so, yeah, your point is right. It's like, okay, who's just going to own that space in the online world where they are the merchant and they are the merchandiser. And then you have, you know, kind of the peer to peer and how does peer to peer work in that? And then right. what I think it's just what I come back to again, like, what is it showing? What, what are the retailers doing to grab a piece of that pie that they probably never had thought about before because it just was never such an important part of the business as it seemingly is becoming now based on the latest trends around sustainability and value. So hundred percent. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, let's do headline number three. Instagram has launched a new section for shopping product drops. According to TechCrunch, as of last week, drops will now have their own destination at the top of the shop tab within Instagram, a tab we've talked about a lot here on this show and purchases can also be made directly within Instagram. So that's all the drops in one place. What do you think, Ann? So my question is, does West Coast Joe have access to this? Because West Coast wa- Joe, <laughs> yes, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, my brother he doesn't and I, need it. He's got mom. my brother and I curse him every time we we lose a drop uh, on the Nike sneakers app. He lost like, a drop oh, this weekend, West right? Coast Joe, you yeah, to get I lost shoes a drop on Friday. My Friday. Jordans didn't get them. Um, so that's the question I have: is like 
how, if I'm doing all the drops, I love the idea of all the drops for all the brands that I follow being in one spot on Instagram, especially, but do, is there priority given to the drop if I come from the, the retailer's own app or from this spot? So that's one thing that I would want to be very careful Ooh, interesting. about. Interesting. Well, or could Facebook, Instagram put some algorithms in to control that a little bit better than maybe the traffic going to the brand's own website. Perhaps, perhaps. But I have, I've I've got to say, you know, brands are going to have to pay a premium for having this transaction taking place in Instagram. So my guess is that if Nike's already doing a fine job on their own, uh, I don't know that they're going to want to move any priority over to this Instagram drop place. Um, but this is the way that things are going. My husband just told me this week about a golf shoe company that's starting to adopt the drop, the whole drop concept. Like they're putting all their shoes out. I think it's smart for retailers. They get an idea of demand for some of these products, um, early on. And, you know, there's excitement and scarcity that you bring into the deal. So I think that this makes a ton of sense. And we're going to see so many more brands kind of go towards this model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And higher prices. You know what I didn't think about with social media too? What you get with the drop effect here is like you can have, because you can have just like this plethora of them running all the time based on the ones you're interested in, the brands you follow. Then within your feed, you can get that psychological effect of like countdown drop starting in 10 minutes and the ticker can be there. Like there's all kinds of cool merchandising things you can do in a feed outside of a standalone app, which I hadn't thought about until you just talked about. So, So I love this. I mean, again, one-stop mall for me. Like that's what Instagram is. I can get anything I want out of this app. Now I can follow any brand I want. I can shop anything I want. I mean, I'm presenting to Vans leadership, the the footwear brand and the apparel brand Mm -hmm. in in a few weeks. And I was putting a presentation together and just the more I think about everything that's happening in this space, like Instagram is, is for the next decade, you know, is really going to be that virtual mall for commerce. And it's about how well people experiment and start to understand concepts like this that I think are going to matter. And if you're not buying, I think this is one thing, if you're not buying into this, that this is really happening, that Instagram is going to be this powerful retail marketplace. I think you're, I think you're still missing out. Like this is coming. Well, can you use Bitcoin to buy the drop? Oh God. Cause now Chris, I hate this story. Go for it. Sheets will become the first convenience store retailer to accept payments via Bitcoin which is even a misleading title. But according to Chain Store Age, Sheets is enabling digital currency payments via pure digital payments network Flexa. So customers that are paying at the pump or in store, they scan a Flexa app, which stores their crypto of choice, and it instantly converts it to cash for payment. Chris, I know you hate this with a passion, but explain yourself a little bit. Yeah, I don't. I don't like this at all. I think this. I. I and I'm. I'm trying not to sound like you know Clint Eastwood. Get off my lawn with this. But I think this is just. <laughs> I think this is so dumb. Like I just think this is so. This is why we do what we do. Like this is so sizzle. Like Carter used to say when he was on the show. Like to me, this is a waste of time. It's not worth prioritizing this right now. I can't imagine that the percent of percentage of transactions by way of Bitcoin. It's probably not even as many as check. Like, you know, that that's that's what's crazy to me. Like, I just, and maybe I'm wrong. Somebody prove me wrong. Please send me the data. But I got to imagine it's still proportionally pretty small. And then the user experience. Like, I saw this at the McKinsey store in the Mall of America. You have to have another app. You got to do all that stuff. Like, we're talking convenience stores. Like, okay, maybe. But like, given all that's, all that's facing retailers right now, this is where you're like investing your time and your resources and your engineering prowess. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I just kept thinking back as I read the story to what uh, Sam's Club's 
uh, chief, Digi uh, chief digital officer said to us uh, uh, last week, which was, um, he made a great quote, and we're going to have this podcast out soon. He said, you know, omnichannel when you don't see it. And so I, that's the lens I evaluate a lot of this stuff. Like, is this omnichannel or is this just some fun experimental thing people are trying? And like, that's, I, it falls in the latter bucket for me, but you like it more I think, than I do. I think you're giving it a little bit, I think you're making it too much of and a And I like priority. experimentation. Like, I just think this yeah, is Yeah, but silly. I think you're giving it a little bit too much weight. I think like back in the day when we were talking about crypto, like, and putting that when we were like working at Target and we were thinking about how this is a new thing, how are we going to incorporate it? Like there's huge implications there. But you can buy crypto through PayPal right now, Chris. Like it's not, it's becoming more mainstream. And I think that this, while this Flexa app, even two years ago at the McKinsey store, like that seemed like a stretch. I think more people with the market being as crazy as it is, the government printing money like crazy, the real estate market crashing. I think people are looking for other things to experiment with for investment. And crypto is a fun way for them to do that. They're, they're playing around with it. And I think that- Keep people going. are going to have, I, on this I think that people, that the idea that people have this Flexa app will become more popular. And in some cases, some people might make the decision, okay, this store, this convenience store takes crypto and I can use my Flexa app here. This place doesn't, I'm going to pick the place that will take my crypto, but what are you going to come? No, I'm calling total it? BS on that because like at the end of the day, like the fundamental question is why, why am I coming to that store? Like, okay. So the things you should be doing, the things you should be investing in are the things that answer that question. Like, are people really going to decide whether or not they go to the store because you offer Bitcoin? Chances are you have a pretty other, many other ways you can probably pay. And if they are, then that brings up a whole nother topic about why are people only going there if they can use Bitcoin, which I don't even want to get into. But like that, so that to me, it doesn't, that, that I'm talking about hold. the dark web. I, like I dark web reasons? But that argument doesn't like, it just doesn't hold water. That just doesn't hold water with me. I'm like, why are you invest in this? And if it becomes that ubiquitous and it's that easy, that's not going to be a hard implementation later. So like, I just, I just, I just don't get it other than it's like a cool, it's a cool media story. Um, and I should say too, Pitt, keep a lookout. If you at all are believing what I'm saying versus what Ann's saying, I had, we have a great interview coming with the chief. I think I said digital officer. That's actually the chief technical officer, a technology officer. Jesus, why can I not speak today? And the chief technology officer at Sam's Club, Vinod Bitter Copa, next, uh, hopefully next week it'll come out. So you guys will want to pay attention to that because we talk about this kind of theme a lot more. I don't know, Ann, any last words? Do you, you still disagree I think you're I think it's just a it's just BS an experiment man it's an easy experiment for them to do who cares but, but this is no so because this is what it. I said about back in the lorry days at Walmart not all experiments are good experiments or worth the time mm, I everyone disagree. is constrained by resources you no you don't you don't I disagree do. with in that in this case I think it makes sense I, I would that's be, your argument you think it's a this good is experiment a, it's a minimal it's probably a plug-in to their payments app and that's it's like taking you know American Express and Visa I don't think it's as big of a deal as you're making it so I just hope a lot of people aren't reading the story and following along and being like oh I need to put flex on the counter at like whatever supermarket or whatever it is you know <laughs> in their local store local neighborhood block near them all right anyway story number five let's keep rolling this story this story breaks my heart and it breaks my heart so too. so bad walmart and gap are launching a new home furnishings brand on walmart come june 24th and you can get it on my best just jack voice walmart.com slash gap home who's just jack just jack sean hayes from will and grace walmart.com backslash gap home you know, come on. You don't, you don't remember that? Just Jack. I, I don't. Every time he go, just Jack. Yeah. All right, fine. Whatever. Joke is lost on you. Lots of listeners probably get that. Will and Grace was I'm a sure. great show. 
Story here, collection of 400 items across all the usual suspects, home decor, tabletop, bedding, bath. Some of the, this is my favorite part in the whole story. Some of the items will be made with materials Gap uses for clothes like denim, chambray, organic cotton, and recycled materials, which by the way, means absolutely nothing because it's just materials you find in pretty much everything. And prices range from 15 bucks for a wash denim pillow to almost $65 for a t-shirt, soft, jersey, reversible king comforter. My only question, Anne, do you think the sheets are easy fit? No, I've relaxed for sure. Relaxed, relaxed. fit? You think they're relaxed yeah. fit? Yeah. You're going to bed. You need relaxed yeah. fit. Stone yeah. washed or antique? Mm, I think it depends. I think that it'll probably come in a few colorways, Chris. A few yeah. washes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think the, do you think the, do you think they swing? Like, is there some like khaki swing in those sheets? Uh, I'm not familiar with that term. Oh, you remember that commercial, the khaki swing commercial? That was like the most famous commercial of all time. It was like the Matrix technology. That was the debut of the Matrix technology before the Matrix. I don't remember that. Oh my God. I'm sending that to you. Oh my. Okay. Anyway. Show notes, maybe. Um, can we pour out a little coffee for one of my favorite brands, The Gap? This is not good, Chris. I am really, I saw the announcement two weeks ago that they're selling clothes at Sam's Club. Now we see this announcement. I don't hold Gap or I, I mean, Sam's Club, great company. Gap, I love that brand. I told you it's like still one of my favorite brands. Yeah. Um, I blame IMG because I think that they came in and now they're just trying to like, oh, you know, pimp gap out to anyone and everyone who will take it and i think it's really going to be the end i mean when gaps prices start ending and you know nine dot 99 or 0.97 you know that's fine but when they when you start having a 98 cent end to your prices end of the brand <laughs> that's a great down. way to put that yeah ken pilot friend and mentor said something like that former executive at gap he said on LinkedIn, he was paraphrasing. Somebody said, when you start doing business with Walmart, quote, it's either the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end, end quote. And I thought that was just a great quote. And it, I think it's right. end, that 98 cent point you just made is freaking gold. I think it's just, I think it's so sad. Like, I don't know what, what they're trying to do. I, I wish they'd come up with something more creative or get some people in there to figure out something more creative than this type of distribution strategy. And this type of partner just doesn't make sense to me. But my question for you, Ann, you love Levi's at Target? You love that. Why Why do you love that, but you hate this? Because I hated both. Um, and by the um, way, we haven't heard much about that one either. So um, what, what what's the difference here for you? Is it the Walmart factor and Target's cooler or what? I think that- Because it's not, it's, it's two sides of the same coin, really. It is. I mean, it's a, that's a fair question to pose. I just think that uh, Levi's was a short-term brand partnership. I don't see that as being like a long-term we're going to see multiple phases of Levi's at Target. Um, this to me is like Puma, Nautica, like all these brands that were department store brands or, you know, were mall yeah. brands. And now they're like in the the stacks of piles of clothing at, at Walmart or at Costco or, or Sam's club. And I just, I think that the elevate the elevation to the brand, um, that they had this like cachet and, and even like, you know, we still haven't seen this Yeezy collection. It's supposed to come out from gap at the end of the month. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you like, what is the brand position at this point now? So you're selling in these off price channels, but then you're doing this giant celebrity partnership. Like who, who are you going after gap? And what's the, what's the plan here? Because me as one of your core consumers, a millennial older millennial, like, 
I don't really know what to do here. And at this point, well, and that's a really good point too. Cause like as much as I railed on the Bitcoin conversation, this is even bigger waste of time. Cause if you really read below the headlines here, you're talking 400 home furnishings items on walmart.com. Like you're not going to sell that. You're not going to sell that much. And by the way, I've said this before, like I can remember back when I worked there, there was home products in banana Republic. They tried all that. Like all that went away because no one gave a shit. Like no one cared. So like, why, this are, is, why wouldn't Gap do this work. on their own? Like if that, like, it's just that's a waste, an even bigger waste of time. You think? I, I, I don't know. I probably because they can't sell enough through their own platform is my guess. And they're thinking Walmart's going to give them their money, or Walmart's paying the extra cost that it would take them to do that by getting the cachet that they have Gap in, and they're paying some licensing fee for that. There's probably some something some angle to that. Which again, I think it's a great question because it just shows you this is dumb. This is a waste of freaking time. It gets you. It, I didn't think about this last night as I was prepping. Like this gets you absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. Not only is it just a bad sign for the brand, it gets you nowhere. And what you were saying, what I was thinking as you were saying too, is like the difference here between Levi's and Target is both are cool right now. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't think you can say that. Cool and cool can work. Not cool and not cool. You know, that's generally my love life. But anyway, all right, that wraps us up. <laughs> it's time for rapid fire questions. And first one to you, Big Mac or Whopper? Neither. Chris, an Italian artist that just sold an invisible sculpture for $18,000 and the only tangible item the buyer will receive is a certificate of authentication that is both signed and stamped by the artist. Your thoughts? First of all, Big Mac is always the answer. Neither is not acceptable. My thoughts on the artist selling basically nothing for $18,000 why aren't retailers on this, like the NFC trend? I mean, they're, the, the amount of people are paying for digital real estate and digital assets. When are retailers going to start getting into this? Because there could be some cool companies. We just talked about coolness factor that could do some really cool sh- stuff here. And I'm just waiting to see it. Like, why is that taking so long? That's better than freaking Bitcoin. Boom. And what's the story you wish made the list this week that didn't? Uh, I'm going to say Ukes, the new site for oh, Gen Zs uh, from the Net-A-Porte group, because there were so many things in there, including like Y2K clothing that made me feel very old, but something that I think people should be paying attention to. Chris, if you had to purchase from Etsy, either a crocheted turtle topper sweater for your future pet turtle or a creepy baby doll made to look like a Yeti, which would you choose? <laughs> Those are my choices. Uh, oh my God. Uh, let's go turtle topper because who doesn't love a frightened turtle? Seinfeld reference. Always good. Happy birthday today to James Purfoy, Penelope Wilton of Downton Abbey. And as you can probably tell, it was a hard day for birthdays. Today was probably the worst day of birthdays <laughs> in the history. I didn't even know who the people, famous people were that had their birthdays today. And I know a lot of obscure stuff about pop culture. All right. Remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Talk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like or leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you with the help and the support of the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism 
to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. Dominic Talk Fast Five is also brought to you by Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And finally, Brightsign. Brightsign is the global market leader in digital signage experiences for retail, offering the most affordable total cost of ownership platform in the industry. Brightsign media players are the most respected and most reliable digital signage hardware on the planet, and they partner with all the leading content management software providers specializing in the retail market. Brightsign also offers free cloud connectivity for remote monitoring and management of player networks. To learn more, visit brightsign.biz.